I want to welcome you guys to Our Bop, Our Bop. This is Riddick's Book of Philosophy. My name's Philip Riddick, and this is where I talk about what I want to talk about the way I want to talk about it. If you enjoy this podcast, tell your friends, family, and loved ones to come in and enjoy my whimsical way of saying things, doing things, and thinking about things. Please hold for a very important message. Hey, everybody, sooner or later, you're going to have to travel. You're going to have to take a plane, a hotel, or rent a car or something, either because you want to go on a vacation, something that you were waiting for, or really wanted to do. Or sometimes we have some unfortunate circumstances in our families where we have to travel involuntarily. Either way or the other, if you need to travel, you want to save some money. I am an independent TSA travel savings ambassador for iBoomerang. And I can save you 30 to 70% on your travel. If you send me your first and last name to the following email address, dcboomgetaways at gmail.com. Once again, dcboom, B-U-U-M, getaways at gmail.com. I can send you an absolutely free website, yours personally, that you can use whenever you want, and it will save you money. It can save your money whenever you are going away. You might be going away now. You might be going away in the future. This website is yours forever. But once again, if you want to save money traveling 30 to 70%, shoot your first and last name to me at dcboom, B-U-U-M, getaways at gmail.com. All right, all right. Welcome to our bot. Welcome to our bot. My name's Phil, and you guys, this is my very first ever podcast with a live guest other than my daughter. <laughs> so, guys, I'm very excited about this. I've never done this before. I'm so excited because this is going now. We gonna break the internet. I ain't lying. I ain't lying. Anyway, <clears throat> my guest is from Southern California. Good friend of mine. He's a, a, a brother I never met, but I intend to. This is Detective Josh. He is from the Southern California. Uh, he's a law enforcement officer from there. All right, guys. So everybody put your hands together for my guest. All right. All right. So Detective Josh, my friend, how are you? I'm great. You know what? This is your first time with a live uh, guest, and this is my first podcast. So there oh, we go. Shit. We're, we're going to jump in the ocean together then. That's right, Trent Water. Hang on <laughs> to your butt, baby. Hang on to your butt. Like, I'm so excited. I'm tearing up. <laughs> Actually, I think that's alcohol. Anyway, <clears throat> all right, my friend. Uh, tell me about you. What got you from your mother's womb to law enforcement? Well, uh, I got into law enforcement in 2005. Before that, um, was in the auto repair industry because my father owned some auto repair shops. And so I started when I was 15, 16 in between, you know, fast food jobs and stuff like that, changing oil and and stuff like that. Before I got into law enforcement, I was working at car dealerships. You know, when you drop your car off for service, you got to talk to the guy and then the guy calls you and tells you what's wrong. I was that guy. And so (laughs) I was doing that, but my father uh, always 
uh, volunteered with our local law enforcement agency. And I used to go on ride alongs and stuff like that. And so that's what I really, truly, that was what my passion was that I wanted to do. And so uh, luckily enough, I was hired in 2005. And since then, I've had a number of assignments, you know, starting out by working in the jails and then going out on patrol and learning that and then being all by myself on patrol and then training other new people that, you know, wanted to go out to patrol and, and stuff like that. And then I became a detective and then I became a, another detective doing other type of stuff. And that's currently what my current assignment is right now. I'm a, I'm a detective and I investigate fraud and cyber related crimes, high value, high profile fraud and cyber related crimes. Oh, I'm glad you said high value. I'm glad to, I got to hang up on you. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Now, <clears throat> those of you that uh, are not familiar with my good buddy, Detective Josh, we'll stick with that. He also is a YouTuber. Tell him about your uh, your YouTube, man. What do you do? Well, during, I would say about, I don't know, seven or eight years into my uh, law enforcement career, I started doing media stuff because every government agency has what they call a public information officer. You know, if somebody, if we're looking for a suspect or if there's a road closure or a fire or anything like that, we need somebody to communicate from our agency to the media so that we can get that out to the public and so that the public can, you know, be safe and partner with us and stuff like that. So I kind of got interested in social media and that was right on the cusp of law enforcement, fire department, stuff like that, starting to use Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook to, notify the residents of their community of what's going on that that wasn't a thing in early 2000s that 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 just wasn't wasn't there and so i got interested in that and then as my career progressed progressed um the the story was i i had to lose i had to lose about 100 pounds to get to qualify to get into the police academy so i lost okay. a lot of weight i got into the police academy everything was going great i got out to patrol and when you're the new guy for years and years on patrol, you work the shift that nobody wants to work, which is usually, you know, 10 at night till six in the morning or midnight until eight in the morning, Tuesday, Wednesdays okay. off, uh, you know, stuff like that. And so, you know, when you get hungry on duty at three, four five in the morning, what's open, nothing's open except fast food. Right. And so right. you're, you're, you're going through Jack in the box, you're going through McDonald's drive throughs and stuff like that. So the weight started coming back on. So fast forward, I'd meet babe. Babe loves to cook. That is my girlfriend. That's who I share the YouTube channel with that we currently have. Uh, babe loves to cook. And I didn't know anything about anything about cooking. I didn't even know how to cook top ramen. Um, I was the fast food guy. I was going out to the you know restaurants guy. And um, so I wanted to learn how to cook at home. I still had a desire to play around on social media. So Babe and I um, started the YouTube channel. And right now, uh, we have a YouTube channel. We are about to hit 3,000 subscribers. It's called The Cooking nice. Cop and Babe. Um, we have an Instagram called Josh and Babe, where we do right. a lot of food pictures and stuff. We, we focus on cooking food at home. We like to do restaurant reviews and stuff, although currently that's kind of difficult to do restaurant reviews. But, <laughs> yeah. but we like to cook food at home, and we like to show people that even if you have a busy schedule, you know, you're professional job, your law enforcement, your babe does hair, you know, you, everybody has a crazy schedule. There's time to make really good and sometimes very simple, awesome, awesome, awesome meals at home. And so that's yeah. kind of the premise of the YouTube channel. That's what keeps me sane off duty. Um, we met a great community. We met you. 
Uh, and we've met a ton of we've we've met a ton of great people uh, through the YouTube community, through social media, and stuff like that. And yeah, and that's kind of uh, that's kind of the story. So the YouTube isn't a career thing or anything like that. It's a it's a stress reliever after dealing with you know some uh, sometimes hardcore situations at work. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's fun. It's a fun stress reliever. You get to eat at home. Hopefully, keep the weight off. And uh, although sometimes that's hard with this with some of these recipes, I know, <laughs> I know man. I know. Well, welcome, welcome, my friend. Everybody, listen. There you go. You got the background on Josh and uh, all of the uh, links to the channel. Well, to his YouTube, all his social media will be in the description box and in the uh, show notes. All right, folks. Now, the reason I brought him in, as interesting as he is. <laughs> is his background being a law enforcement officer, career law enforcement officer, and my background being a career retired military guy, elite military soldier, not the average guy. You know, I had to do the jumps off the truck and the runs in the chow hall. I shoot you in the face. That's what they pay me for. Anyway, both of us having a background for protecting people, dealing with bad people. The reason I brought him in here, the reason I brought you here, sir, is... I want to discuss what it's like for you and me to run into danger. Now, let me set this up for those of you listening. Nine times out of 10, if you hear something loud, scary, unknown, or dangerous, it is natural for everyone to run away from it. You don't want to get hurt. You don't want to get shot. You don't want to get blown up. But with years of training... It is possible to be manipulated into the evil ways of running toward that stuff. And that's what we do. All right. What I used to do. And that's what Josh does now. If there's someone out there trying to hurt someone shooting at somebody, you know, we go in that direction. If there's a big explosion, someone's got to investigate. We go in that direction. So the subject is running into danger. So Josh, can you give me any specific instance that comes off the top of your head when you not just had to do your job when you were fucking scared, man, and you still had to do it. Well, when people ask me that, you know, a lot of people, the first question that a lot of people ask, especially if you go into like a school and you want to talk to the kids or something like that, some kid will always raise their hand and be like, have you ever shot anybody that, you know, different (laughs) questions like that. And I, and I remember a situation, I was about two or three years uh, on patrol. I was all by myself. I, I actually had two very similar situations um, but the one that actually involved live bullets flying at me, uh, a family disturbance call. Um, the husband goes in the backyard. He has a gun. He's yelling at the wife inside the house. The wife ends up going out the front door and down the street. So the wife is safe. The guy is now in the backyard all by himself, shirtless gun in hand, very, very pissed off. It's like six o'clock in the morning. Remember I started my shift at 10 PM. I'm, I'm done. The sun's up. It's time for me to go. It's time for me to go to bed. But when you hear a call like this, everybody goes, it doesn't matter if you're off at six, you, you, you go. And so we all get there. A bunch of people get there. And if you can imagine, and I, and I know a lot of people, I listen to this podcast on Spotify. So I'm going to try and try and say this to the people that are just audio listening. If if you imagine a house and it has a little side uh, brick wall, and if like I'm I'm six foot five, I could walk up to that brick wall and stick my head over it and look in their backyard. Well, this this man is on the other side of the brick wall, and I'm out on the sidewalk. A lot of other a lot of other of my partners are out on the sidewalk, and this man sticks his hand over the wall with a gun and starts firing off firing off rounds. He can't see us because he's not tall okay. enough to see over the wall, but 
the gun can see us over, yeah. you know, over the wall. And <clears throat> that having bullets fly in your direction is certainly uh, an experience I'll never forget. It's and, so boring. And yeah, it, it's a lot. It's a, it's a lot. And I remember, you know, I'm a big guy. You got all your gear on and your vest and stuff like that. And at that time, I was probably about 75 pounds bigger than I am right now. And yeah. there was a tree, a big, a big, like a tree that's been there for years and years and years. And mm. let me tell you, you can become skinny real quick. <laughs> suck yourself behind that tree. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, uh, luckily after a couple rounds went over the wall, he decided, you know, we got our helicopter up. He stayed in his backyard and calmed down, thankfully. And he threw the gun over the wall and then he came out. And he he was arrested. There was no no other further incident like that. But definitely, definitely very scary. Wow. I understand. And it, yeah. And, you know, and cops around the country and the same with military, especially when you're deployed to parts unknown, uh, deal with those types of situations. I, I had another situation a year or two later uh, in the middle of the night. Somebody broke into somebody's house like a home invasion robbery. The family was home. And, and okay. two, wow. two, two brothers, two brothers broke into the house um, and they wanted I, it's a little unclear to me because I wasn't a detective at the time. So I don't know how the story played out months and years down the road, but right. I, I think it was, it was kind of like a hit on the family. They, they were going there to handle some business on, on the family. Wow. It wasn't like a random stranger's house. Gotcha. So they go in there and they shoot up the house and one guy got shot in the house. Nobody died. Um, and the house is all shot up. Well, the guy hearing the sirens coming because the neighbor's office called there's gunshots hearing the sirens i happened to be one block away very like okay. the minute that went on the radio i was there in 20 seconds so other sirens coming from farther away at night when it's when it's quiet outside you can hear a siren from far away oh, yeah. especially when it's quiet and it's still and there's not a lot of cars on the road and stuff like that so the the suspects the two brothers knew that um we, the cops are coming. And so one laid, according to witness accounts, like laid in a bush, kind of proned out um, mm -hmm. with an AR-15 with some illegal mm -hmm. ammunition, the armor piercing illegal ammunition that was purchased outside of the United States. And yeah. um, and he was lying in wait for my, and I, it was going to be me in the front of my windshield. And as you know, glass ain't stopping nothing and especially exactly. not stopping armor piercing bullets. And so um, luckily the gun jammed. He pulled the trigger. The gun jammed. Um, never fired. He left the gun there and he ran and he's and he was off wow. in the way. We, we later, the detectives later, we all figured it out and he was taken into custody and stuff like that. But wow. the gun was left very free. lucky, very lucky. And so I don't know. Very lucky. Now. You know, in, in that type of situation. God's watching over you. That That's yeah, you know, exactly. That's, that's all. Now I'm going to give away some hints to some of you non laymen. AK-47. That thing fires 7.62 round, a big bullet. Okay. Nothing in a car is going to stop that except for the engine block and the differential. Yep. Get out of that movie bullshit. Mm -hmm. You open up the door and hide behind the door, you a shot ass. Nothing's going to stop that bullet. A nine millimeter will go through a car door, folks. So y'all stop believing what's in the damn movie. All right. This is coming from a career shooter. A career shooter. There were times here at Fort Bragg. When we're training to get ready to go to wherever we were to fight, we would sit inside of freaking Humvees, pull up, stop with targets in cars and figure out the correct place to aim so that it would go through the windshield and still hit your target. If you're shooting inside of a car from outside, you have to aim low because of the slope of the windshield makes your bullet go up. 
if you're inside the car and you have to shoot through the windshield, you got to aim high because the slope of the windshield is going to make your bullet go down. Now, how many people knew that? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'm telling you, but running into danger is, it, it's you know, it's a unique experience. And it takes a lot of, I don't know, psychological preparation. You know, you have to be, you have to understand that you're going in that direction. And then on top of that, you say a lot of times you were by yourself. Imagine have to take a squad or a platoon. And you have to have the leadership capability to be able to motivate. What is motivation? To give to have someone to, to be able to build a want or a need into someone to do something that's uncommon. All right. Let me explain. Let's say that there is a bunker position, machine gun position on top of a hill. And I have to take 50 people or 20 people up that hill to destroy that thing. And they're shooting that. How do you get people to run up that hill? Back to motivation, to build that want or need. You need to make them either want to run up that hill or feel that they need to run up that hill. All right. Some people are glory seekers. Some people, come on, we're going to go up there. It's going to be magnificent. It's going to be a bloody battle. We're going to kill them. And some of your people will be like, yeah, let's do it. Another half will be like, fuck that. <laughs> I'm not running up there. There's bullets, man. How do you motivate those people? You let them know, hey, that gun position is going to kill the rest of the people behind us. And if we don't take that gun position down, other people are going to die, man. We need to take that down. So in just in a short speech, if you're savvy enough, motivation, you could build a want and a need to various people to go up that hill voluntarily into danger to take out that freaking gun position, even though they're getting shot at. Isn't that interesting? And that, and and that get somebody, I'm sorry. And to offer that motivation, especially as a, a squad leader, a team leader, a supervisor, a manager, to offer that motivation and get somebody to do that, that's a very um, honed skill. Very honed. And, and a gift, I, I would say. Because I've, I've you know, a, lot, a, lot, a lot of people can be a manager. I mean, I yes. can promote you and you're a manager. That doesn't mean that you're a leader. Exactly. Exactly. A right. lot of people do not know the definition of leadership. A manager be like, you guys go up there, take care of that, and let me know when you're done. I'll come inspect. That's a manager. A leader's going to say, we're going to go up there. We're going to take it down. Follow me, guys. I'll show you how it's done. That's the leader. Absolutely. You don't send your people in to do anything you're not willing to do. I'm sorry. This is about you. <laughs> so tell me something else, man. How, how did you get the wherewithal to be able to handle situation let me let me say this we got people that can't even stay in the house for a couple of months man i gotta get my haircut i got no discipline i need milk whatever but then you have people that have to have the discipline the wherewithal to be able to do uncomfortable things where do you think you got that from you know i i think 50% of it is the love of the job. And that's just what you're calling in your heart is said to do. And I remember one of the truest things that any adult has ever told me. I was, it was like day two of the Academy. We're in, we're not, we don't, we're not even privileged enough to put on what resembles a uniform. We're in a JC Penney suit working out in a, in a suit in a tie. And, a and, a and, the, uh, <laughs> and the drill instructor, uh, the, the, the ramrod of the whole, there was like six drill instructors in the Academy. And then there was the head, head drill instructor, about six foot six white dude, about 5% body fat, flat top, <laughs> smoky bear hat, shoulders, no neck. shoulders about the wide as a VW 
yeah. this is a this is a big boy. Like this this guy eats people for lunch. <laughs> and uh he sat down and after he got done yelling and screaming and, and doing all of his all of his stuff, he goes, I'm gonna tell everybody in in this room a couple things right now. One, I'm gonna tell you that you get into this career, you graduate this academy and you do this job for a number of time, you're gonna be a completely different person. You're gonna be a changed person. You're gonna see things that people don't see. You're going to see, you know, the average person in a, there's a study that went out that he went on to talk about in law enforcement that the average person sees X, Y, and Z in their whole life. They see death, they see car accidents, they see whatever they see. Law enforcement, you're going to see a a lifetime of what an average citizen sees in one year working out on the street. So you're going to, you're going to be changed. And then he said, look to your left and look to your right. There is going to be people in this room that are going to die. You will go to somebody in this room's funeral, 100%. And that's, that has now happened, I think five, five times. And there was a hundred yeah. people in that room at that time. And I, and I've been to numerous funerals of people in that room. Oh, I know so, the feeling, trust me. You know, again, but like I said, in the beginning, 50% of it, it goes back to, to your heart and your calling and, and what you truly want to do and, and the reason you want to do it. Um, because you're not going to be a millionaire. I mean, we make, we make good money. Uh, you know, California is expensive to live in, but we, we make good money. You know, I don't have a mansion. I, I live in a condo, but I'm good. I have food on the table. You know, people are unemployed during this whole situation. I still have a job. I'm very blessed in, in that aspect. Yes. Yes. But you're not going to be a millionaire. You know, no, you're, you're not, not. going to. Look, you make more money than the average military kid. You got oh, the oh, by, 45. You make a killer. By no leaps and bounds. <laughs> anyway, but, you know, you have these kids. I'll tell you a quick story, a real quick one. Um, and this is all about having kids that's going to do what they're supposed to do, get things done, face danger, and then the repercussions. And it's going to be crazy at the end of repercussions of this. <clears throat> we're in, uh, well, at that time we were in, uh, we were in Iraq and we're in up on our Humvees and we're doing our patrols. Okay. So we go out, do what we're going to do. Got shot at a little bit, some sporadic fire, handled the situation. Uh, it wasn't like a big firefighter or anything. We, we got shot. I mean, it happens. You know, you get shot at when you're in Iraq, especially during that time of the year. I mean, during that year. So we get back after going through that. We're out all day, and you never, you don't get to turn off for that whole day because you have to be right. Our battalion commanders used to say this: you have to be right 100 percent of the time because the bad guy only has to get lucky once. You got to be right every time because they only have to get lucky once. You lose a guy. Anyway, we're out all day. We come back. We're downloading trucks, downloading ammo and blah, blah, blah. And one of my uh, lower enlisted was like, Son Riddick, I was a platoon sergeant. He's like, Son Riddick, I'm like, Minion? You don't talk to me. I mean, I ain't calling him a Minion. I'm like, look, go talk to your freaking squad leader. I ain't got time. Okay, I'm going, I got to go brief the first sergeant. Me and the lieutenant got to go brief the first sergeant company commander on the patrol. No, 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 you got to check this out. I said, go talk to your freaking squad leader. I don't have time. So squad leader comes, but hey, Son Riddick, you need to check this out. I'm like, what, man? I go around, I look, and one of my gunners, he got shot in the back. Now his his plate, his ceramic plate caught the bullet, but he got shot in the back, dead to rights. And it didn't penetrate. He didn't bleed. It left a bruise. So I look at it, and now this is the repercussions. I said, How'd you get shot so fucking low? You're sitting too far up in the top uh, in the t- in the turret. If you'd have been nipple deep, you wouldn't have got shot in the back. I chewed the man got shot on the battlefield. I chewed his ass <laughs> for sitting up too high in the freaking turret, man. Ain't no mercy. When you're going into danger, man, you can't make no mistakes. One mistake like that, if his plate would have been higher, if he didn't have in a plate, which he did, I would have had a guy shot in the kidney shot. 
Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. You got to be right every day because they only got to get lucky one time. So that's one of my experiences of running, you know, being in the dangerous areas. Yes, you know, and I remember a time that I was the first or second guy there before the fire department at a house fire. And, and, you know, you got to, most of the people were outside, but a hundred percent, we didn't know if everybody was outside and the house was full. To, it was a fire. It was certainly the house was on fire, but not. So, you know, you try and hold your breath. You run in real quick. Cause again, we don't have any fire gear. I mean, I I'm in a wool uniform. And right. so, uh, we run in there and do it. Not a pleasant experience, but it leads me to what happened in downtown Los Angeles like two days ago with that big explosion, a bunch of firemen inside and stuff like that. Watching some of those videos, horrific, because that's not like getting shot. That right. That I don't know. I, they're like sitting there cooking in, in the yeah, flame. Exactly. We're like worried that. about the bad guy getting us. Right. They're worried about the freaking environment killing. God's right. trying to kill those guys. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so I don't know. It's a, it's it's certainly a, a an interesting situation, an interesting conversation to have. Um, I mean, I credit a lot of what I've learned. Our academy was a very, very good academy, probably one of the top academies in the country. Obviously, mm-hmm. we're in we're in a big, big, giant city. Um, right. We have ten thousand sworn on our department. Right, you know, right. it's a big, it's a big operation, and yeah. so we we had some very, very good training, and we continued to get training, and we were able to you know, starting from working in the jails, you know, if you're a kid, I grew up in the suburbs. I didn't, I didn't, you know, we had a gangs in the suburbs, but we, it's not like downtown LA. It's not like Kong baby gangs, <laughs> you know? And so when you're in a situation, you're 23, 24 years old and they're like, okay, you're going to be in charge of this dorm. There's a hundred dudes in there. And all of them are facing life sentences. They haven't gone oh, to, man. they're in County jail right now. They haven't gone to trial yet. So they still, you know, have their right to trial, but yeah. these are dudes that, have been locked up since they've been 13, 14 years old. They, you know, they didn't, they didn't have proper families and stuff like that. They've done some heinous, heinous, hideous crimes, you know, faces fully tattooed down. And you're, you know, you're thrown into that situation as a 23 year old, like, okay. You know, there's there's definitely, there's definitely a learning curve and, you know, a 50% heart and 50%, you know, you gotta, you gotta be trained and you gotta learn. You gotta, you know, take that information in and you gotta do what you're, what you're told yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you, see, now you talk about, I know there's a learning curve and you talk about that casually, but that situation scares the shit out of me. Now, let me put it in perspective. I jumped out of airplanes for 17 years, training to jump out of a plane, hit the ground, collect my gear. We assemble, we fight in war. No problem. That's what I'm supposed to do. We've jumped out of plane, jumped out of helicopters into water, swam to the shore to attack people and kill. No problem. But you talk about law enforcement. Fuck that, man. That's dangerous. <laughs> you know, when I, uh, uh, after I got divorced, I, I lived with um, uh, my partner, me and him rented a house and right. uh, he was in the airborne army airborne. Yeah. And he was yeah. telling me, he goes, you know, some nights we would go out drinking. And then the guy that was packing your parachute, he, you know, he might be hung over packing that parachute. And I'm like, <laughs> well, that's truly frightening. And the fact that some 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid fr- fresh out of boot camp is packing parachutes, that's also frightening to me. <laughs> but there's checks and balances. Back to the danger part. Those guys, the riggers, that's what they call them. They're riggers. They're the ones that pack all the parachutes. They pack the chutes, but they have to jump one of their own on, on you know, hey, you, come here. You're jumping that. You oh. know what I'm saying? Oh, that that's keeps like them the balance system? 
Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, exactly. Freaking, they can pack and pack and pack and pack, but that they could just walk up and say, "Hey, you pack that one." All right, you're jumping it. So hey, I trust him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I trust him. But man, you know, running in the danger is you know one. Thank you for your service, man. It's an honorable job, but it's not something that everyone's suited for. I know you've seen people that cracked under pressure. I've seen people crack under pressure. All right, and it's not pretty. It's not no. pretty any, in, and, by you know, any way whatsoever. And uh, do you have any instances like, no names, please, no names. Right, but right, have right. you ever seen anyone at a critical time that just couldn't move forward? Well, yeah. And, you know, especially being in an agency as large as mine, you're, you're bound to have dummies, for lack of a, a better word. And, <laughs> I, and, I've seen, and I've seen it. Unfortunately, I've seen it, you know, and that's why I, I, I get kind of pissed off when people are like, oh, you know, cops is F the police and blah, 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 blah. 99.9% of law enforcement across the country, they're decent folks. They're not yeah, like, I I said, they're not going to be, they're not going to be millionaires. They, they do it because they like to do it. It's a good job. It has a good retirement. It's an honorable job and they, and their hearts in it. Yeah. They, are, are there bad apples? Absolutely. Are, yes. are there bad apples on purpose that are just straight dirt bags? Yep. The, in the profession. Yep. yep. They, they slip through the cracks and yeah, there are. And then are there bad apples to the fact that you get into a, a sticky situation, whether it be you're running into danger and you crack or whether you, you honestly messed up, but, you, your heart was in the right place. You didn't maliciously mess up. And then you start lying about it and try and cover it up and stuff like that. Right. Instead of just being honest. They always told us, and, and I still believe this true today. If you mess up, not maliciously, but if you mess up and you fall on the sword and you're like, Hey, I, I messed up, man. Like say, here, slap my hand. You know, I, 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 I didn't do it maliciously. I, I, I screwed up nine times out of 10, unless it's, you know, really heinous, but nine times out of 10, you'll probably be okay because you have yeah. your honesty and you have your integrity. And, you know, it's, it's when you start lying and doing all kinds of slippery stuff, trying to hide you, it. Yeah. You cracked, you cracked. Yeah. And maybe it didn't start out maliciously, but then you kind of got into that zone, which isn't good. And then you got the other. I found, I found that as long as you're doing the right thing, even if you can't or for some reason are unable to stand up for yourself, other people will do will stand up for you. Right. Case in point, we were in a place, can't say where this time, we were in a place, we got security, we're searching vehicles, and this civilian didn't want to be searched. He jumps out of the vehicle and grabs one of the sergeant's rifle, grabs it by the barrel, and he beat the brakes off of this dude. I'm talking about butt stuck to the face. I'm talking about missing teeth. He hurt the guy bad. So we finished the patrol, but it got to hire really, really quickly. And they went to, and that kid, he wasn't even in my platoon. I just happened to be over the operation, but he wasn't my kid. And they were going to stand, they were going to try to jam him up. I was like, wait, I'm going. So we're talking to, we went from his platoon to company to battalion level. It was that big of a deal. So we got a Lieutenant Colonel and a Sergeant Major breathing down these kids. He was E5 at the time. So I'm in there. And we're going to get you for this. I said, hold on, wait, stop. I said, it was my operation. We were there at the TCB traffic, traffic control point. I said, you need to be glad that there is not a dead civilian out there. He had every right to shoot. This isn't my exact words. He had every right to shoot that motherfucker. You weren't there, sir, Sergeant Major. I was the guy on the ground. He was working for me. He's not even my kid. But when someone jumps out of a vehicle and grabs your weapon, grabs a weapon of an infantry guy, no. 
He, he was dead to rights to shoot him, and the other guys pulling security could have shoot him, could have shot him too. I said, "You ought to be glad that they had the discipline that they had, and all he did was freaking reprimand, beat the shit out of the guy. <laughs> we didn't detain him because we couldn't, but he beat the shit out of the guy. The medics checked the guy out, and then we released him, finished our patrol, and we came on back. And what I got was, well, how come you didn't say that, Sergeant? He's like, sir, you guys didn't give me a chance. Right. They went straight into the riot act, but right. he was an E five, I was an E seven. All right. So. If you're doing the right thing, people will stand up for you. I agree. You know, as long I, I, as you're doing the right thing, people will stand up for you. Absolutely. Especially if you're not doing it with any malintent. Exactly. I mean, nobody, exactly. you know. And I'm, I'm sure that's the being would have took an ass whooping over a freaking couple of rounds in his ass in a heartbeat. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. So, and that's, yeah. And that's civilian. I mean, he went home to see his family. He's probably, you know, right. sipping soup for a couple of weeks, but he was home with his family. Right. Right. And it's the same, <laughs> you know, it, it and the environment has changed, at least in, in the law enforcement aspect, over the last decade, substantially. Mm -hmm. it, you know, now I feel like the the pendulum is kind of swing that you know we're we're judged, criticized, and and looked over. That's fine. I can I can handle that. If you're doing the right thing when nobody's looking, you're not going to have a problem. You're, and you're, that's you're, integrity. You're damn you're, right. You're going to be okay. It's when we're doing something. And in the situation, getting into force or forcing somebody to do something or affecting arrest that takes force, <clears throat> I can't even talk, that takes a use of force is not right. pretty. If you videotape it, it doesn't look good, no matter oh, what. Not ever. It, it, it's gnarly. That's why people pay $75 pay-per-view to see UFC fights, because it's gnarly, yeah. you yeah. know? And so even if you're doing the right thing, even if you're within your department's policy and you're within the law and everything like that, it's still not going to be pretty. And and now, unfortunately, the society kind of feels like, hey, you, you didn't have to do that. You could have, you know, asked them nicely. You could have gave them a teddy bear and asked them to get in the backseat of the patrol car, you know, kind of thing. And and unfortunately, Every, everybody's nowadays, this society now, man, we turn into the United States has turned into a bunch of pussies, man. Everyone's feelings get hurt for every little freaking thing. You know, you know, they I, don't even know what the ugly looks like and they get mad. Oh, oh shit. You ate Rice Krispies instead of Fruit Loops. Get the fuck out of here. Right. Come on. Absolutely. Some people do have to do the dirty job. And I, some I, people I, have to do the ugly stuff. I, you know? I agree. And it's people like us, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I just got done. Now I'm, Now that I got this new job, I, I spend a lot of time on the freeway. I have a long commute. And so I listen to audio books and I listen to uh, this podcast on Spotify. <laughs> and, um, I just got done with an audiobook called Hard Times Create Strong Men. And it mm. basically talked about history. And you know, you know, we have good times that create weak men, hard times, and then you get strong men. And it kind of is a cycle. It's like every talked about like every 80 years or so, it, it's a cycle. Like, you know, June 1944, we were sending 17, 18 year olds to Normandy, and then now we have people with man buns and you know, and so it's it's a cycle, you know. It's a cycle, but yeah. it, but it was a it was a good book, and it talked about kind of the, the the role of the country now, and kind of how how we treat our men in this country, and and different right. things like that. I don't know, an interesting read, you know. Some parts I disagreed with, but overall, a, a very interesting read. And, and I got you. Made some some, some very right, good questions for you. So in your years of law enforcement, in your years of law enforcement. What bits of professional advice would you give to a rookie? Knowing what you know now, what bits of advice would you give to a rookie? You know, when you when you start in the jail 
or when you you know go out on the street or or whatever you're doing you, especially young and I and I and I'll ask you if you see this with young young soldiers they're very and and, and I was this way to a point not as bad as I've seen some, but very like overzealous kind of like, Oh, we got to go. I got to do, yeah. you know, 22 traffic. I got to do this, 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 you know, I, and which is good. You, you work ethic is definitely good, but you know, you gotta, you gotta work smart, I guess. Yeah. You don't want to be reckless and you don't want to. And, and a lot of situations can be resolved with talking to people. If I talk yeah. to you a certain way, I can get you fired up with my words. Yes. Or I could, or I could probably de-escalate it, use my verbal judo, and yeah. I could probably calm you down. With sometimes, obviously, that's not a hundred percent of the time, but I agree. Your your words and your demeanor play a big part, and that is something that you you definitely learn. And I didn't realize that in the beginning. I don't think anybody does. And yeah. and I and I'll ask you for a new soldier. Like when I approach a person, and in the beginning, hey, you broke the law. You're going to do this. You know, turn around. Blah 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 blah. And somebody might be like, I don't like how you're talking to me. That's disrespectful. Now, if you say, hey, man, you know, explain the situation. It is what it is. And they comply with you. You got you got to the end of the road to the same way. You just took the yeah. smoother road. Than, and that's something that I would I would instill in newer people. Okay. Now, I have a little bit different experience from you being that I was a drill sergeant. Okay. So being a career soldier, I did have the opportunity to train the army's newest. Okay. So I did have the opportunity to impart uh, wisdom, knowledge, understanding, leadership traits, things like that, as well as being an example. And the biggest lesson out of all the years of me training thousands of soldiers was you don't know what you don't know. You don't know your potential yet. Oh, drill sergeant, I can't run a mile. Well, by the time we graduate, they're running five. Right. All right. Just I can't do 50 pushups, but by the time they graduate, they're doing three sets of 50. Okay. So what I learned over the years of running toward danger or trying to prepare, uh, I'll say to a degree, manipulate, influence, inculcate information to drive people to do that, run into danger. I learned that the best way to convince or get them to understand their purpose is to teach them that you don't know what you don't know. Don't assume shit. And you don't know what you're capable of, especially when you're scared or desperate. You can do far more if you can harness that than you think you can. You can move further, faster. You can fight harder. And that's the biggest things I always had to teach my soldiers. And, you know, I taught, um, basic trainees. I taught the newest lieutenants ROTC for a while. And I taught the United States army ranger school for five years. So I've trained the army's newest, the, the army's officers and the army's most elite. Yes. Pat myself on the back. A lot of y'all <laughs> didn't know that. Now you do. So, and that's what I would really try to push out. You don't know what you don't know. And you can do more than you think you can. Absolutely. And you know, that was something, you know, we, in my Academy, we had 140 people that started, we graduated 99. And some of those right. people, you know, we, we would go into defensive tactics and stuff like that. They would get the biggest dude and, okay, lay down on your back. This dude's going to hop on top of you. Now, you yeah. know, you know, and he's going to try and take your gun. You know, we had little <laughs> fake, you know, red guns and stuff like that. And he's going to try to do this. Some people, it, it was it was too much. It was just, it, you know, their, their fight or flight 
and and yeah. it was it was flight. Yeah, and so everybody we can't make it. And so we lost everybody, everybody can't make it. Right. And so we lost some people that way or, you know, the stress of the academics. Hey, you if you fail a test, you get to retake it. If you fail it again, you're out. And yeah. so yeah. Oh, and that was between running. See, my mm-hmm. the, the testing and the academics part wasn't where I struggled. I struggled even though I lost 100 pounds. My stresses would come from, hey, and the, the drill instructor would tell you tomorrow we're going to start our day with a six mile run. Yeah, I'll be like, yeah. and then we're going to take the test. I the test I wasn't stressed about. I mean, I, I had to study and stuff like that because you're you know right. you're still learning. But I was worried about, oh man, am I going to be able to make it six miles? Because yeah. there was a certain time. Hey, we're going to do six miles and we're going to do it in X number of minutes. And if you're yeah. un- if you're over those, you, then you fail. You fail yeah. a number of runs, you're out. And yeah. so we used to do the exact same thing, man. Here it is, right. battalion run, a thousand guys. We used to do payday activities once a month, five mile run. Um. It was a five mile run, eight minutes a mile, plus or minus 15 seconds. They ran it at 745 every freaking month. And if you fell out, you you got hell to pay, blah, blah, blah. But man, I want to thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, Just to be able to talk to a kindred spirit, a person that (laughs) understands (laughs) that sometimes ugly is necessary. All right. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a right way and a wrong way to handle a dramatic situation. Like you were saying, you can easily talk a person down if they're willing. Right. And if all else fails, you could talk a person up too. You got to bust a cabin that in. Yep. We didn't have the luxury of arresting. We don't arrest. You either right. shot or not in my right. line of work. But uh man, I appreciate it. Thanks. I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah. Um, you know what? Me too. And you your podcast is like I said, I, I I got a long commute. Spotify, that's where I get all my podcasts. It comes nice. through loud, loud and clear. And uh, yeah, I really enjoy it. The the content that you've been putting out so far. So I look forward Thank to more, sir, appreciate more, it. more live guests. And I promised I was coming for you. And I came for, like Johnny Mags. I know he's in here. Like you told me, I came for you first. I don't have that accent. I came for you first. <laughs> <laughs> Brother, I appreciate it. I love you like cooked food. If there's anything I could do for you, man, I, you know, I will. Likewise. Guys, this is uh, Detective Josh. I will once again have all of his social media and his uh, links in the description box below or in the uh, the notes of the podcast. Thank you so much, man. I just you got it. really, really uh, enlightened me. I learned a little bit more about you, my friend. And uh, yeah. So guys, thank you for coming to uh, this podcast. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned a lot about my friend, maybe a little bit about me. Uh, like I always say, I love you like cooked food and we'll be out of here in five, four, three, two, one. Y'all take care and I love you like cooked food.